Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Hearing that you're pregnant with twins can be a wonderful moment, but it can also be a scary one. Of course, we're grateful that we're gestating yet another human to love, but the idea can be quite overwhelming. Double the love, yes, but... Also double the nappies, the feeds, the sleepless nights and the worry. But as with most things in life, the best way to deal with something you're fearful of is to talk about it, ideally with experts. My guest today is Alison Perry, mother to two-year-old twin girls and their nine-year-old sister. She's also the author of OMG It's Twins, a comprehensive guide to pregnancy, birth and life with twins. Alison, thank you so much for being here today. Hello, Marina. It's so good to join you today. Um... uh I I know it's not possible to set, you know, totally prepare um, parents for life with twins. But actually, one of the things I sort of reflected on having read your book were that there were certain really important points that wouldn't necessarily have come to me um, initially. And I've spent the last decade kind of teaching antenatal classes, preparing women, mostly for singletons, but yes, quite a few twins there too. Um, And it was a real revelation. So um, I'd love to go through those eight things with you. So starting off with the um, acceptance that you're going to be overwhelmed when you hear that you're having twins, and you probably will be overwhelmed with when then when they actually arrived. Yes, absolutely. Both. Yeah. I mean, I know that when I found out I was having twins, it was a real OMG moment. And I think that from speaking to the experts for my book, um, I spoke to Anna Mather, who's a psychotherapist, and she, um, you know, she, she basically said, you have got to allow yourself to feel all the emotions. Uh, There's no right or wrong way to feel when you discover you're having twins. Uh, Lots of us feel anxious and, uh, you know, worried. And then we feel guilty because actually we've just been told we're having two babies and that's a huge blessing. Um, And it's this real kind of like conflict between, you know, the the realities of, of what's facing us, what's ahead versus I guess how, you know, society tells us we should be feeling when we receive that kind of news. Um, and like you say, when you uh, when, when you then go on to have your twins, um, you know, that 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 feeling of overwhelm can just be enormous. And I spoke to a brilliant doula and twin mum, Mars Lord, uh, when I was writing my book. And she told me that every twin parent will feel overwhelmed. It is inevitable. Um, and she advised not to focus on everything. If you imagine, you know, you've arrived home with your twins 
and you're thinking, okay, right, well, we need to be have a schedule for feeding them. And, you know, perhaps you might need to be expressing milk or making up formula. You know, you need to be changing nappies. And then you need to be thinking, okay, what am, am I going to get some rest? It feels really overwhelming. Um, and Mar is basically advised just to think of the one job that needs doing next and just focus on that. And once that's done, so if it's changing their nappies, change them, done. By focusing on everything that needs to be needs to be done, you are just going to increase that feeling of overwhelm and it will really affect how you're approaching all of these jobs. It'll make things feel so much harder. Well, I think you're right. I think very often fear is, is you know, and worry about things doesn't actually bring anything positive. I remember so well, I mean, I only had one baby, but I remember so well having those nights where I literally didn't sleep and spending the night worrying about how I was going to cope with the next day. In the end, it was fine the next day. I just put one foot in front of the other and it was fine. And so all that sort of worry about how am I going to deal with the rest of the day when I'm so tired was totally pointless worry. Oh, you know, I think yeah. with that anxiety, you either do something, you change something or you put, try and put it to bed. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I've been there myself. I think everyone listening will be able to resonate with that in terms of, yeah, that fear of I'm going to be so tired tomorrow. And if you've got older children thinking, I've got to get up and do the school run. I've got to, you know, I've got things to do. And it just, yeah, that feeling of anxiety, it doesn't help at all. It doesn't make you feel better the next day. It just makes you feel worse. Absolutely. And and also, I talk a lot about feeling about uh, about feeling overwhelmed when you have a baby in, in the antenatal classes, because I think that very often women interpret that as I'm not qualified to deal with this baby. But I think every parent who really cares about doing their job well feels overwhelmed. And so yeah. to interpret that as I care rather than I'm not qualified to do this job or I'm ill-equipped to do this job, to sort of accept the fact that you are overwhelmed, it's a big deal, but that doesn't mean you, you can't do it. That's so true. And actually, when I had my first, um, my eldest, um, 11 years ago, I really felt like I'm finding this really hard. Therefore, my interpretation of that was, I just must be a pretty rubbish mum. I'm just I'm just not as, as good as those other mums I see out there totally nailing it, coping fine. You know, and you're so right, the opposite. It's not, it's not that the opposite is true. It's not that I'm a better mum than them. It's just that we're all just experiencing this in a completely different way. And, you know, we're all doing our best. One of the things I loved in your book, you said, um, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And that's a great analogy for parenthood. It is that sort of one step at a time. Just focus on that. And actually you will. I mean, not that we're encouraging people to eat elephants, but <laughs> it's so true, though, because if you imagine, you know, if eating elephants was a thing, you would think, well, I could never eat an elephant. It's so big. But actually, one bite at a time, you would eventually get there. And I think that it's just a, a, a silly, but it works, the analogy in terms of, you know, the, the, the volume of stuff that you feel that you've got to get your head around when you've, when you've got newborns. Absolutely. So the next thing that really interested me in your book was the observation that how you cope when your babies come home will have, um, we'd be directly affected by your birth experience. Because obviously, we know that 
multiple pregnancies are much higher risk than singletons. And, and I imagine we're also talking, um, you know, to, to mothers of triplets in this, uh, in this podcast. I know that's extremely rare, but there's a high chance that your babies will be born slightly prematurely, maybe even very prematurely, spend a bit of time in hospital, even spend a bit of time in the NICU. And the idea that how you're going to cope with all of that will be affected by what your experience was. I know you had a, a very straightforward experience um, delivering your babies. Uh, but for women who've had a really traumatic experience because maybe one or both of their babies are very ill, um, that is going to affect. And of course, it's kind of one of those sort of revelations, of course it will, but we don't acknowledge that as much, do we? We don't, we don't. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, I spoke to many twin mums whose babies were in NICU or special the special care units um, after being born. It can massively affect your start to twin motherhood. All that extra worry and not knowing, you know, what's going to happen from day to day. Um, you know, it's it, it can really affect the mental health of 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 both parents. Um, the charity Bliss is excellent for um, offering advice and support. Um, they're a great charity helping with premature and sick babies. Um, but I think it's really good to think ahead. If you are listening to this and you're pregnant with with twins, um, it's really good to think ahead and think, okay, well, if that happens, if my babies come early or if there's some kind of complication and they end up having to um, have special care, um, who will look after me? So who will bring me food and make sure that I'm getting enough rest? Um, and it's also a really good idea to uh, very early on kind of uh, say to the, the hospital staff that you're keen to do as much skin to skin as possible if it is possible with your babies um, it's called kangaroo care when um, when they're in NICU um, it's really important and also you can be resting while you're doing it so it really you know it's a kind of you know you're you're hit, kind of hitting both of those goals at the same time um, but yeah don't put too much pressure on yourself and don't feel you know don't feel uh, bad for for feeling I guess yeah for feeling robbed of that of that experience that you read so much about and how you know how you're told that the first few days and weeks of motherhood will be it can be very different for for those mums absolutely I know there was a sort of first um, hand sort of encounter in, in your book of a mother who said that you know one she was describing how one of her babies was in intensive care and then the incubator malfunctioned and she said that trauma and the anxiety of that caught up with her when her babies were well enough to come home and how she looked at other twin mothers who seemed to be doing so much better than her that seemed to be having an easier time adjusting emotionally to the magnitude of the job and I just think the understanding that that's not you being weak that's not you not coping but if you you're essentially you know having a sort of post-traumatic stress episode and I suppose Absolutely. if you do know that your pregnancy is is very high risk or while you are in hospital and your babies um, are having a difficult time to tell the people around you to warn them it might be that you do need a bit of extra help that maybe you go and you know your mother or a parent comes and lives with you for a bit or that your partner understands that this sort of post period you're going to have to deal with the trauma of of you know see, being worried about your babies I mean I inter interviewed um, a lady a few years ago for this podcast called uh, Francesca Siegel and she wrote this book called Mothership all about her twins who were born very early spent a lot of time in intensive care and it really made me realize you know how stressful it is you know her babies were sometimes in different hospitals one came home before the other then there's that kind of struggle and all of that is going to have a massive impact on your ability because you can't be in two places at one time no absolutely not I think it can put such a strain and pressure on you and I think that you know um 
depending on you know where you live and what you have access to um i think without wanting to kind of throw another thing at new twin parents that you know in terms of their to-do list if you can access therapy someone to talk to as early as possible I mean, I've just started recently having therapy to deal with PTSD from having my eldest 11 years ago. And I wish I had done it sooner. And I know that, you know, way back then when I was in the thick of, you know, postnatal depression, it possibly wasn't, you know, what I was, it, it wasn't on top of my, the top of my head in terms of this is what I need to do. But I wish I could go back to, you know, the 11 years ago version of myself and say, just book a therapy session, see how you feel, talk about it, because it can just be such a good way to kind of order your thoughts and have an expert tell you, you know, all of these fears and the guilt and all of this, all of your emotions kind of just help you work through them all. Mm. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And I suppose also really important for your family to understand. And I do hope that listening to this episode are not just parents of twins, but also the family of, you know, people who are expecting twins. Because, I mean, you do need that support network so much. And if they're aware that, you know, you might be finding this a bit harder, not because you're weak, but because you did have a really traumatic experience, um, then, you know, and that I, I say my, my eldest went into um, special care unit when he was born. And it was for a relatively short amount of time. But that was three very long days and three very anxiety inducing days and he wasn't even that sick I can imagine if you are are on the other end of that that is going to have a huge impact on you yeah absolutely and I think that you know what you say about getting that support network around you that applies to every twin parent it applies to every parent if you can ahead of time you know just talk to family if you haven't got any family nearby you know close friends and say, look, I'm going to need you, whether it's to look after your toddler or your older child, or even just like bring round food and be available. Just having, knowing ahead of time that you've got those people that you can call upon and that you're not then feeling guilty for putting them out can make a huge difference. Absolutely. So, I mean, I've always felt that when it comes to babies, singletons or multiples, um, feeding is the key. If the feeding is going well, everything else falls into place. Your babies sleep well, they, when they're awake, they're happy. You feel you're doing the kind of one job you really need to do right. If for some reason the feeding is not going well, your babies are struggling, you're struggling, whatever it is, 
it is a total game changer. So I'd love to talk a little bit about feeding. And, um, and and I guess, you know, the thing that really struck me from your book is that it is possible to feed your babies at the same time. I really struggled with breastfeeding. I really, I couldn't have fed two babies at one go. But you were saying how actually there are a variety of techniques. In fact, it's a whole thing called tandem feeding and that it is very possible. And that presumably is a, is a big game changer in terms of the time spent looking after them and the time when you can sleep. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I I kind of went into twin motherhood with no um, kind of preconceived idea about how I would feed them. I breastfed my eldest and I found that very difficult to begin with, but I persevered and I got, you know, help and advice um, from health professionals and managed to feed her for six months. And so I went into uh, twin motherhood thinking, I'm not going to put pressure on myself. I know that I managed to do it first time round, but it's a whole other kettle of fish having two. Um, but I was quite lucky in that my the hospital that I gave birth in, they had an infant feeding team, which I think it does depend on your trust in your hospital, whether um, they have um, you know that that's available. But it basically meant that there was always one person um, on duty who was there to help all of the mums um, on the ward. And I was in hospital for four days and it basically just gave me the, you know, kind of on-demand help that I needed. And it was one of them that said, why don't you try tandem feeding? And she kind of put pillows on either side of me and she helped me position the babies um, so that they were, you know, they were basically, their bodies were going under my armpits. And the main, I mean, the main challenge for many um, twin parents is keeping your babies awake long enough to feed them. So they were giving me all sorts of tips like tickling their, the soles of their feet and blowing gently on them and um, getting them to open their mouths by gently rubbing under their chin. And even things like that was super, super helpful. Um, and it just meant, and they, they also um, got us to top up. So they weren't getting enough from just being breastfed. So they brought in this like industrial strength um, uh, pump and got me to express milk in between feeds and um, meant that that four days later when we left hospital, I just had the confidence. We knew what we were doing. We knew that we could, you know, tandem feed the twins and then I would go off and express for a little bit. um, And then we had that to top them up for the next feed. And we were just in this rhythm already. Um, but yeah, there's there are various ways that you can feed twins. There's the um, what I just described, which is called the, the double rugby ball hold. Um, there's the koala hold, which I was we, we went to a um, a breastfeeding cafe, and the lady there told us showed us how to do the koala hold, which is basically you have them kind of perched on each of your thighs and kind of straight up towards the nipple. Um, I couldn't get on with that, but some people manage brilliantly. Um, You know, there are various ways that you can do it. So it's really worth um, getting yourself to a breastfeeding cafe and getting, you know, these amazing women to physically show you and help latch your baby on and show you how you can how you can do it it makes things so much easier well if you can feed both of them at the same time because I remember even just with one just feeling like I I barely had time to brush my teeth let alone do anything else so actually feeding two and if you're feeding one at a time that's just going to mean less time for you to sleep so if you can manage that you know two two in one go and even if you're ending up bottle feeding your babies you know there are ways of of tandem feeding them I mean you can use the, the bouncy chairs can't you you and then a bottle yeah, in each hand so, and that works quite well. 
Yeah, we we gave them um, expressed milk and formula at various points. And yeah, so I would sit on the floor with the bouncy chair on either side and a bottle in each hand. Um, and you can prop them up on, you know, feeding pillows and things. Um, there's definitely, I mean, you feel like a multitasking hero, I tell you. Especially if you can do that and watch like, Gilmore Girls box set or something, like Friends box set at the same time. You're just like winning at life. And actually, I think that distraction while you're feeding is so important. I remember finding that those like middle of the night feeds were so much easier if part of me was like, oh, I'm so looking forward to the next chapter of my audiobook." Or I find actually, I find like listening to stuff was almost better than watching stuff because it needed less of my focus, um, but it could be really um, stimulating. And yeah. also that kind of light in the in the middle of the night wasn't necessarily great. So actually having a great audio book um, uh, on the go was just brilliant. Or podcast. <laughs> or podcast. I was about to say that podcasts are great for in the middle of the night. <laughs> but entertaining. I didn't want to be listening to kind of people talking about pregnancy. I wanted some kind of total escapism at that stage. Definitely. Yes, definitely. Some sort of comedy or some sort of dark, you know, um, thriller, something like that that just takes you away from what you're doing. And... W- I mean, I know that every parent kind of worries, like, has my baby had enough food? And I remember desperately sort of looking to see how much they fed because I always know that that would sort of translate into how well they sleep slept. But obviously having two babies, they're going to be different. They're going to be days that one baby feeds more than the other. Did you find that it took a while to adjust to the fact that they were individual human beings and you didn't regard like one's taken less today as, oh my God, I've done something wrong or there's something wrong with them? Definitely. And I would say that I, you know, they're two and a half now and I still do that one, you know, one day, one of them won't eat any lunch. And we've learned just to not panic, just it's fine. They're they're individuals. One will, you know, polish off her entire plate of food and the other one doesn't. Um, Yeah, it's, it can be, it can be tempting to compare them right from when they're first born. Um, And I think it's, it's not necessarily helpful, especially if they're non-identical twins. They are completely two individual babies. And there is nothing to say that they will hit milestones at the same time. um, Nothing to say that they will respond in the same way to certain things and, and, you know, drink as much milk. Um, So it's really good to keep a note of things. um, So you can chat to like your health visitor, um, but not, not get too stressed about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So obviously there are lots of things you need to do with one baby, even more things you need to do with two babies. But one of the things that really shone out from your book was your babies do not need to have a bath every day. Um, uh, But I think that gives us a really good opportunity to talk about bath time because, you know, how do you do it? Is it possible to bath twins in one go? Yeah, well, I mean, I... I have to admit, yeah, we, we still don't bath our twins every day. Um, I, I, I say... don't bath my children. They're like nine and 10 every day or 10 and 11. <laughs> children are meant to be a bit dirty. It's fine, it's a bit grubby. Yeah, It's good for them. Um, but yeah, it can be a real big worry factor for twin parents. That kind of, you know, bathing two newborns at the same time and, you know, just taking, removing that pressure and that that feeling that you have to do it every evening. You don't even have to do it in the evening if it suits you to do it. If they if they get a bit gripey and a bit grouchy towards the end of the day, like many babies do from the buildup of tiredness, um, do it in the morning. Do it at lunchtime. Just you know, in between. I mean, they, quite often twins um, and prem- all premature babies they're very sleepy, and so it really is a case of you know, grabbing that kind of moment when they're awake, perhaps after, you know, before a feed um, and doing it then. Um, 
you can bathe them separately. So we always have one, we don't now, we bathe them together now. But when they were very little, we would have one on a mat on the bathroom floor. We'd have the room nice and warm, have the door shut. Um, we'd have um, some nice gentle music playing, which was just as much for me to keep my nerves, you know, down. Um, and so while I was bathing one, we we then had one on the, the floor and then we'd swap. So it wasn't a case of me having two slippery little newborns um, in each hand and then not having any hands left to to actually do the cleaning. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely possible. And like all of these things, it's just about practice and getting into a bit of a rhythm and a routine with it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, is it not possible to put them in the bath if they're in, you know, those those bath seats are like suction onto the bottom of the bath that can yeah, keep we, them quite secure. And yeah, as long we as had you've got your eyes on them, that's fine. Absolutely, we had a couple of those. But quite often to begin with, they're not... They're not in the bath for any length of time. It's a case of just like, get them in the water, give them a clean, you know, top and tail, and then get them out and dry and warm and into a baby grow again. Um, So I I find it easier just having one of them in the bath at one time and, you know, and then swapping over. And I suppose too, you know, I found with my children, like one loved having baths and the other just didn't like them that much. And if you've got one twin that really does enjoy kicking the bath and splashing and all of that, give them a bath more and you yeah. know, spare the twin, get the other twin, you know, just get them top and tails and clean. But that doesn't mean you, you're giving one more benefit the other. You're just responding to their needs you as individuals rather their than... Needs. Yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, now one of my twins loves the bath and we you know we give her a good 10 minutes extra and meanwhile the other one, we get her out, dry into her PJs and she'll sit there playing or reading, not actually reading, mm-hmm. she's just flicking through a Peppa Pig book. Um, she's not that advanced. Um, <laughs> she's not reading Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So absolutely, I'm a firm believer in responding to their individual needs. And like you say, it's not kind of favouriting one over the other. It's just treating them as individuals. Mm. Um, I think probably the thing that most mothers are most scared of when they hear that they're expecting twins is like, will I ever sleep again? And from your book, that was so I love that positivity that sleep will not elude you forever. You know, it is yeah. going to be in quite short supply. Um, maybe not right at the beginning, because as you said, they're, they're quite sleepy, but uh, it, you will be able to sleep again. How did you find it? Would you recommend having twins sleeping together or is there a chance that they wake each other up? How does that work? So, I mean, it it you have to just go with what works for you because they're all different. But what, what worked for us was um, having them together in a cot to begin with and um, the, you know, the, all the kind of guidelines in terms of safe sleep say that that's absolutely fine to do. Um, I think it's, it's, it's always worth checking out the Lullaby Trust and getting their most up-to-date advice. Um, you know, they say that you can um, have them with uh, opposite ends of the cot so they're still in the same space they're still you know together um but they have their feet at the foot of the cot which is what they recommend to be the safest way to to sleep we had them together side by side with their feet at the base of the cot so we felt that worked for us Um, but it's really important that as soon as they start to roll that you give them their own cot so that they're not rolling on top of each other um, we found that they settled much more easily together. They were so used to being together in the womb. It kind of makes sense that they want to be kind of, you know, nose to nose with each other as they quite So you really were. noticed that, did you? That they were more kind of content when they were in the same sleeping space? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, 
you know, we when we eventually transferred them into their own cots, um, we had them in our room, as you, you know, as as is recommended, um, and they were fine. Like there, there was no kind of we were expecting a bit of oh, you know, is are, are they going to suddenly have a bit of a sleep regression because you know because they're being moved? But they they were okay, they were fine, um, and the whole kind of waking each other up thing, we have just found that. They're just so used to the other, the noise of their twin. Um, you know, last night even, one of them was awake at 3am and kind of babbling to herself and singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And the other one just completely slept through. I was like, oh no, they're going to have them both awake. Um, but we have found that actually they're, they're so used to it. It hasn't been a huge problem yet. <laughs> mm. And do you have any tips on how to get your twins to sleep well? Because obviously that's, <laughs> if, if, if we weren't so chronically sleep deprived as, as new parents, I think life would be so much easier. So I'm always a big fan of, yeah, working out is how do you get twins to sleep? Because obviously it's yeah. more difficult to get, you know, small babies to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I spoke to Joe Tantum, who is um, a brilliant baby sleep expert. Um, I interviewed her for my book um, and she recommends, she has five top tips that she shared with me, which I will share with you now. Um, swaddling your twins. She said that, you know, making them snug and cozy like they were in the womb can make a huge difference. Um, using white noise um, and womb sounds. Oh, I'm such a firm believer in white noise. I've used them for all three children and um yeah just an absolute lifesaver i I Um, agree i've got to say i i sleep very well with white noise so i often put a fan on in my room um mainly because i sleep much better and you know you don't need to have some fancy thing you can literally have an app on your phone or you know you get little inexpensive toys that have sort of white noise there's loads of different ways to provide white noise Even on, um, you know, like if, you, if you've got Spotify or, you know, on YouTube, there are playlists of white noise. And I remember kind of in the middle of the night, you know, just like searching for something that would work and finding like a Hoover or, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, it just works magic. Um, Joe also recommends having them in the cot together. Um, it can be, you know, a really good way of settling them. And if one twin is crying, then being close to her, his or her twin can settle them more quickly. Um, she recommends not rushing to them at every squeak or noise. Um, it can be so tempting, can't it, to rush in, you know, every little cry and, you know, try well, especially and, try if you're worried that they're going to wake the other one up. Yeah, ab- absolutely. But you know, leaving them um, can can really help. Um, and really importantly, she says to wake them up for feeds during the day, which I always did. So we were in this kind of like quite strict routine of, um, you know, thinking, right, OK, three hours have passed. Let's wake them, give them a feed. Um, and it can be really hard, I think, for some some parents because they think, oh, no, you know, they're, they're asleep. Leave them. I need, I've got things to do or I just want to sit here with a cup of tea. But it can really help. It can really help them get into that, you know, regular routine of, of sleeping. So, yeah, well, I suppose, too, you know, their, their, their milk intake matters over a 24 hour period. So if you can get the majority of their milk intake to be taken on the daylight hours when you're kind of up and about and available to feed them, then they need less in the nighttime hours. So they're more likely then to, to sleep during those hours. Just going back to your point about not trying not to sort of respond to every squeak. I'm a big believer of that. I remember reading a book um, and it was called something like French children don't throw food and basically saying how very, you know, the, in France, it's 
very much accepted to pause before you go to your children. And I remember that was so evident with me. You know, when I had my daughter, I couldn't go to her on every crime. Very often she was crying and I was like wiping my son's bottom. I literally couldn't go to her. And by the time I could go to her, she'd stop crying. And actually, you know, you wonder whether that cry was like, I need you or I just need to make a sound and maybe I just need to expel this energy before I go to sleep. Or, I mean, that's really the only way they can communicate with us. Absolutely. And now my husband and I, or we, we, in fact, we've always done this thing where, um, I don't know if you do this with your husband, but when the, when the baby cries, we kind of pause, almost like hoping that the other person gets up to go and deal with the baby. And quite often that, like you say, that pause, by the time we've got to the end of that pause, the baby stopped crying. So we're like, oh, okay, relax. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I would try always and set myself a challenge. So if I was like emptying the dishwasher, I was like, I'm going to empty the dishwasher and then I'm going to go. Or if I was That's watching good. TV, I'm like, I'm waiting till the adverts and then I'm going to go. And obviously you're waiting for a, an appropriate time according to their age and as they get older. Plus you can kind of hear the sort of, I really do need you now cry. But I'd always yeah. just said that sort of tangible, I'm going to do this first. And, and I do think yes. that is, is really, really good. Yeah. I mean, obviously uh, one of the challenges with um, children that need to be fed in a wake a lot is that sleep deprivation is really difficult to cope with and obviously with two twins or two babies you've got you know even less time to yourself how do you cope with this sort of sleep saga or lack of it I really found it helped hugely to stop thinking about sleep for me as being something that happened that had to happen you know when it was dark outside at night I really kind of almost like adjusted the way that I viewed sleep. And as long as I was getting enough pockets of it during the day or, you know, at any point, then it it was enough. And I think that that's something that I got wrong when I had my eldest was that if I wasn't getting, you know, a, a long enough stretch at night, I would get quite panicky and anxious. Like we discussed earlier, that kind of feeling of, oh my goodness, how am I going to cope tomorrow? Um, so really just viewing it as getting just pockets of sleep over a 24 hour period can really help. Um, getting, um, you know, um, an eye mask really helped for, for us. Um, so that when we were grabbing, you know, an hour's sleep in the middle of the day, it was dark, it was easy to get to sleep. And just thinking about it, you know, even one hour is enough. So a sleep cycle is 45 minutes. And so I used to be quite guilty when um, when I first became a mum of thinking, well, you know, look at my watch. I've only got an hour before whatever needs to happen. There's no point in me, you know, trying to get to sleep. And actually there is point, you know, even if you get one kind of sleep cycle in, it can just make you feel more refreshed. It's probably not what people want to hear when they are feeling massively sleep deprived and want to reach for a strong coffee. But cutting back on caffeine can be a big game changer. Um, Just allowing yourself to, you know, get sleep and not be feeling wired and awake when you have that chance can make a big difference. And actually, um, and I was I reading. Find... So, sorry, I was reading something about caffeine and basically saying that even if you've, you're one of these people that's like, I can sleep perfectly well after a double espresso. It's not about whether you can sleep; it's about how well you sleep. Yes, the quality of sleep. Absolutely, it really makes a big difference. Um, and I also find that going to bed. So. Um, I found that, you know, my husband was, was around in the evenings and we'd have dinner and then I would just take myself off for a few hours of sleep. And that was quite hard because I really wanted to hang out with my, you know, my eldest before she went to bed. And I really wanted to, you know, have an evening that kind of lovely, you know, co- you know, cozied up on the sofa watching something on TV. 
But I just prioritized sleep over pretty much everything. I was like, nope, I'm going to go in and get, if I can get three hours in now before I've got to get up and feed the babies again, then I'm going to do it. And it's, you know, it's short term. They are going to go to sleep. You know, as we said at the beginning, sleep will not elude you forever. And I remember becoming a bit depressed about like, I do nothing apart from feed and clean nappies and clean clothes and cook and that's it. But it, it does go quite quickly. This is, you know, a short amount of time relatively when you're in it, it can feel like it's just going on forever. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of a lot of uh, parents really struggle with it. And, um, you know, it can, it can affect your mental health in a big way. But you're right, when you come out of it, and you look back and you think, oh, that was hard. And I got through it. And I'm here now and things feel, you know, quite a bit easier. I think it's it's a great moment. Absolutely. Um Obviously, with twins, there's, you know, twice the amount of joy, but there's also twice the amount of crying. Um, uh, how in, in, one of the things that I think you said in your book was that when one of your children was crying, you sort of spun it so that you were like, well, two thirds of my children are happy. <laughs> how yeah. do you deal with the crying? Because that's got to be quite full on. It is full on. It is full on, and I really felt like that. That just telling myself two thirds of my family of, of my children are happy and fine was such a kind of an important way to reframe the situation. Rather than focusing on the baby that was screaming, um, it really it really helped. Um, it can be so so hard, um, you know, especially when you have got two. I remember the evenings of you know my husband and I had you know, would have one in a sling each and we were pacing up and down through the house just to try and, you know, soothe them and get them to calm down. Um, and I spoke to Sarah Ockwell-Smith, um, a parenting expert, um, when I wrote my book. Um, and she very much, she was very kind of um, passionate about the fact that there will be times that your babies cry and you've got no idea why they're crying. And you can go through that list of, are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Are they in pain? Um, are they tired? Is there anything wrong? But quite often you'll get through that list and they're still crying and there's nothing that you can do about it. And it's it's really important to understand that that's totally normal and not to panic or feel guilty or feel like you're doing something wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I guess also accepting help when you can possibly get it. There was that lovely story of uh, a twin mum in your book who said that one day she was in the garden, both her kids were crying and her neighbour popped her head over the fence and was like, are you okay? She was like, will you take one? She literally handed one baby over the garden fence to a neighbour. And then another time there was like a gardener who'd come round to give a quote for the garden. She was like, you take a baby and I love the fact that you just need to like take help when it's offered don't feel too you know guilty about accepting help and and I guess asking for help calling up friends of yours I think actually as a friend if one of my friends called me up and said I really need some help is there any way you can help out I'd be quite flattered that they'd think of me I would be absolutely I'm you know I'm really kind of I feel so strongly about this and it's because in the past I've been terrible at asking for help um, and it's something that um, Philippa Perry talks about in her book. Um, you get yourself into this cycle where, you know, you feel you feel vulnerable and you ask a friend for help. And if they can't help or they're not able to, it then makes you feel even worse. And it then makes it even harder to ask for help the next time. Um, and it's a very common cycle to get yourself into. And I think that it's it's important, you know, it, it's that's why it's so important to kind of get that support network around you. So if, you, if you've already kind of briefed a small number of friends and family that 
you know, they're on your list. They're the ones that, that you might be calling if you are having like a real moment and you just need someone to come round and hold a baby while you, you know, have a shower, have a rest, you know, make a cup of tea, whatever it is that you need, then, you know, having those people on hand can make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, um, uh, yeah, they just need to be held sometimes, don't they, babies? They just, yeah. and, and if there's two, two of them, then you just sometimes need another person just to hold yeah. them. You don't need to be an expert. Getting outside, I think, can really help as well. So if they're crying, no, no matter what time of the day it is, we, you know, I remember us putting them both in their double pram when it was dark outside and just taking them around the block to see if it, it helped. And that fresh air, that change of atmosphere can quite often, as well as the motion of, of being in the pram, can very often settle them. So that's that's a big a big tip. Yeah. Um, and then I think one of the, the things that people find very intimidating is the first time they kind of do it on their own. You know, you often will have your partner at home, you know, for the first few weeks, hopefully more. You might have a parent coming to stay, but then comes that kind of moment of truth when no one is there anymore and you have to get two babies out of the house and I remember the first time I took Ludo out the house and it was like I was mobilizing a small army you know the packing that went on the preparation and the what ifs and the and and just thinking with two babies to get out and about but really the the, the, the realization I think that um when you do it you feel like a superhero and that's a pretty good thing to feel like isn't it it is a pretty good thing. Yeah, it's such a hard thing to do. I think you're right. Getting one baby out is a massive effort. To do it for two can feel very overwhelming. Um, it's really good to kind of think ahead. So if you know you want to go out the following day, pack the bag you know, with everything that you need. Um, work out your route. So are you driving? Get the car seats ready. Are you get, putting them out, taking them out in the buggy? You know, but also building it up. So just thinking, right, so, you know, tomorrow is my first day of, of getting out and about on my own. I'm just going to walk around the block. And, you know, then the next time you can just, you know, go a bit further to the park with them. And then, you know, to your friend's house, who's even further. So I think that it's just a case of taking those baby steps and not trying to jump on the train to your nearest town centre to do a bit of a shopping trip the first time you take them out. Absolutely. And I think very often it's the anticipation that is, is sort of almost the most fearful. And I always find a good exercise is to just visualise, worst case scenario, what am I going to do? So say I do take the babies out and they scream and one of them poos everywhere and the other one vomits over the other one. What's going to happen? We'll go home. But yeah, that's okay, yeah. you can go home. And if you visualise that worst case scenario, then that gives the confidence that should that happen, you'll still be okay. Yeah, and I think that so often it's the the fear of other people's reactions. So if, you know, if your, your twins won't stop crying or they have a massive nappy explosion that you've got to deal with, you know, it's that, that, that voice in your head that's telling you, oh, those people are looking at me. Oh, they're, they're judging me. Oh, they think I'm a terrible mum. And it's like blocking that out and thinking, I'm just going to focus on what I need to do and what my babies need. And, you know, to heck with what they're thinking. They don't know me. They don't know my situation. And actually, they're probably not thinking those things that the voice in your head is saying. They're I was probably thinking, say. They're probably yeah. thinking, wow, look at her. She's got two babies. She's doing so well. I know, I know. And they're probably going, oh, gosh, they're so gorgeous. I wish I could help out. But I that's a very un-British thing to do, so I won't do that. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I think there's just a huge amount of admiration that you've grown not one, but two babies. Yeah. 
Um, one of the things that I really uh, found very interesting was this idea that there is a lot of negativity around the anticipation of the kind of workload with twins. So, you know, when you sort of tell people that you're having twins, very often the response is, ooh, be prepared for no sleep or, oh, my God, you mean you're going to ha- not have any fun for a year or how are you going to cope rather than how amazing you could have two babies. How lovely you'll have two extra people to love um, and, and, and the impact of those those comments. And, and I guess it's sort of twofold, you know, how to deal with that sort of it's like a sort of passive negativity in a way because it's not actual negativity but actually it makes you feel scared but also if you're someone who's not had twins how to think about how our comments might be making other people feel I think it's really tricky because so often people they reach for the cliches don't they and you know if they're you know having a conversation with somebody and they say oh I'm having twins it's the oh double trouble and oh you know like like you say the kind of the negative comments that um that people come out with um, like rather you than me, um, but also quite often it's them taking their fears and their anxieties and putting them onto you. So they're thinking, you know, whether they're parents already or whether they're older people who've kind of, you know, they're well past the whole parenting um, side of things and they've kind of forgotten what it's really like. You know, they're they're putting their negativity onto you and it can be really unfair and really unnerving. Um and I think that and you also, I find I got really super personal questions. So, you know, the lollipop lady said to me when I was pregnant with twins, oh, you know, um, was it was it natural? And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, you're basically asking me if my husband and I had sex to conceive these babies or whether it was done in a hospital. That's not massively appropriate chat for, you know, crossing at the school gates. Um, you know, and I was quite tempted to say to her, oh, well, if we're going to chat about our sex lives, you go first. But I didn't. I was very, I was very well behaved. Um But yeah, it's kind of surprising. And I think that you shouldn't underestimate the effect that these comments can have on you. And it's always good to be able to kind of brush them away lightly and try not to take them to heart. Yeah, I suppose to understand that they weren't intended to hurt you, even if you, they could be interpreted like that. I always think it's so important to think of take offence when it's intended rather than when it's not intended. And that is sometimes a difficult thing to do. People can say hurtful, inappropriate things. Um, but actually, I think unless they really did intend to offend, you need to just put it down to their bad rather than anything that you've, you, you should feel sad about. Definitely bat it away and just get on with your day. Yeah. Oh, Alison, it's been so lovely uh, to chat to you. Um, it definitely, like the idea, I think, of having twins, just talking to you feels sort of so much more sort of doable. And and I love how in your book, there are lots of different voices. There are women who've had all sorts of different experiences, either firsthand or they're professionals. And it does, it does sort of makes it feel more achievable. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's the aim of the book. It's to really be a, a big handhold through the whole experience, try and make it feel a little, little bit easier. Perfect. Well, OMG, It's Twins by Alison Perry is out now. It's available from all good bookshops. Um, Alison, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review us wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Alison and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.